You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip. Let it rip. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. We're back after Thanksgiving week, after the open week. Here to recap what happened in the first week of Virginia Tech basketball, an impressive 3-0 start, and look ahead to number three, football coming back to Lane Stadium. Going to be exciting, maybe, we'll see, but let's check in with Doug. Doug, how are you feeling after the open week? Watch any cool games, get to enjoy the Thanksgiving festivities with the fam? How'd everything go for you? Pretty good, I think. You know, I think... You know, having that bye week after, you know, being on the grind for the last 10 weeks or whatever it was really, you know, it really gave, gave us the rest we needed to finish, finish strong, especially as we head into, you know, this time of year where basketball and football are going at the same time, which is normally traditionally been a pretty awesome time of year when you have like a football game on Saturday and then three basketball games during the week and then another, fo- but, you know. It's not much to be excited about on the football field these days, so a little different. Yeah, but luckily, uh, Virginia Tech basketball came off to a hot start, 3-0 and in Bubbleville, and I think it was a nice relief for a lot of Virginia Tech fans. If you've been watching the football team thus far this season, uh, you could definitely see potential early on in the season and teetering out, losing their last three games now, so... Let's kick off on a high note. Let's talk about a little Mike Young basketball, talking about the number 16 team in the country right now. (laughs) Uh, Big week after taking down Radford, then number three Villanova, another top five team. Uh, Mike Young, year one in the Maui Invitational against Michigan State, also ranked number three. And then closing out the week with a uh, nice victory over USF. So Virginia Tech now number 16 in the top 25. Kive Aluma, the ACC player of the week. Watching all three games, Doug, what impressed you the most? Uh, I was impressed by how by how ready they are, how ready they were to like hit the ground running as they have. Um, this is a team that brought in nine i think it was nine newcomers from last year from the transfers to getting aluma eligible to to the to the true freshman they brought in so it's you know it's a a handful of players are still there um but even you know jalen cone and ojiako have been out in the first three games so they've had the majority new of the players playing have been new players but um to go three and oh i right off the bat and to kind of 
handle their business. You know, the Villanova game was the one that got all the attention, but I think coming out the next night and pretty much cruising to a victory over what is going to be a decent USF team. They're probably going to fight for like an NIT berth by the end of the year. But, um, you know, I thought that was just, just how ready they are to kind of hit the ground running and seem like, you know, Mike Young's going to tell you that they've got a lot of work to do, but they, they beat the number three team in the country by eight or nine points. That's, that's a pretty good, pretty good start for, that's had as much turnover as as they have yeah and looking at the roster i mean this feels like a completely different team than it was last year obviously landers nolly took most of the attention taking or was essentially the team it felt like on offense he was the big shot taker the offense was kind of built around him forced into a position because there wasn't a lot of size and now you look at the team and there's tons of depth all over the floor and you're talking about Ojiako and Jalen Co not playing and yet you know there's eight guys in a rotation uh there's no clear-cut star player so to speak uh it's kind of just all around and then you know getting to see Kive Aluma getting to see Cordell Pimsel and uh more size in the interior interior for Virginia Tech getting guys in comfortable roles I thought it was really impressive to see how many guys played and not only that but last year the story was well this team is going to shoot three pointers and they can kind of compete with anyone and this year it's kind of you know they're playing tough defense against these teams and all three teams brought something different to the table, and I thought Virginia Tech adequately addressed each and every one of those games. And, you know, to go into a game against number three Villanova on maybe a night's sleep of preparation uh, with a completely new roster in the first week of the season and then shutting out a potential All-American forward, forcing Villanova to essentially rely on three-pointers to stay in the game, I thought... Overall, you have to look at this team and say they did it on defense. They have depth to continue to play really hard throughout the entire game. And all in all, it was very impressive. Yeah, Mike Young certainly didn't uh, make it a secret that what he wanted to do with his roster and adding size and um, relying less on the three-point shot than they did last year. Aluma is the guy that I think has really jumped out here after three games is just a critical piece, a critical addition. Um, not just because he's, you know, a tall and competent basketball player, which Virginia tech hasn't had a tall guy like that in years, um, or at least since Blackshear, but not multiple guys like that. But, um, his, he's clearly added a three point shot while he was, uh, sitting out and, that ability, I think, is going to be huge for the offense. He, the size and all that stuff is huge on defense. When the, so they're not playing PJ Horn as their center for 30 minutes in the ACC. Um, but his ability to stretch the floor is kind of going to be like a stretch five kind of guy. It seems like who can play inside and outside, which is going to give Tech so much versatility. He's the guy. You know, we kind of know what 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 Bisabidi is. You know, he might get a little better shooting the ball this year, which would be helpful, but we know who he is. We know who Tyrese Radford is, who might get a little bit better shooting the ball, but we know what his strength is. Couture and Aline, those guys are are, are 
you know, they're better than they were last year, but they're still basically the same players. Aluma is the guy that really changes things for Virginia Tech, especially at least, you know, of, of the guys that they're going to play 25, 30 minutes a night. So we talked about what impressed us, but, you know, aside from Aluma, what other aspects of the team have surprised you so far? I like Mutz as a, like a combo four, um, you know, uh, Mike Young talked about all the time how he wanted, he wanted to get like more traditional and bigger and throw it, throw it on the block and all that stuff. Mutz is kind of like the, uh, he's the, he's what power forwards have become in this game is basically a small forward playing power forward as far as what he can do with the ball. If he can continue to shoot, he doesn't have to be a great shooter from three, but if he can be a threat to knock down threes, um, that makes him even more dangerous. But he, he looks like a guy that can guard multiple positions, can rebound extremely well. Um, and if he can add just a little bit offensively, I think he's he's the, the, the power forward. You know, last year Tech was playing Tyrese Radford at the four a lot. Um, and he's a great rebounder, but he's an even better rebounder when he's the three. Um so if you can get Mutz going there, that's huge. Yeah, for me, I mean, I first want to start off with how, you know, we talked about how different this team is uh, from a personnel level, but their identity on the offensive end has really changed as well. Last year, when you point at what did Virginia Tech do well, it was that they shot threes at a very high level. They did it efficiently and the volume was extremely high. And this year, when you're watching them, you're expecting, you know, you still have the same cast of guards. You're expecting a lot of threes in certain situations. And it looks like Virginia Tech and really emphasizing attacking the paint. And obviously it helps having a guy like Justin Mutz, having a guy like Kive Aluma or Cordell Pimsel. Uh, but it just seems like the combination of guys coming in allow Radford to do more things that he's comfortable with and having more guards in their positions where they're more comfortable, they can spread the ball around and find those areas to attack in the paint. So uh, it's a, it's a lot different. It doesn't feel like it's just shooting three pointers. Uh, even when contested this year, it seems more methodical. Uh, and, and then the other thing is uh, resiliency. And when you look at the team against Radford, they started slow and you thought, okay, well, if they get out of this with a you know five-point victory, it'll be a good game. But then they started to pick it up. Then they play Villanova. And I think anyone going into that game would have said, if Virginia Tech can make it close, that's a respectable effort. And that's something that you can build upon. This is still year two of Mike Young. It's a new roster. And they get to the point where they're making a second-half comeback, you know, down 13 points at one point. And at the very end of the game, you know, whatever happened with the Kive Aluma, you know, banked in a free throw when he was supposed to miss it. And Mike Young said, look, that's on me. I should have coached him better. And then Justin Mutz inexplicably running into a set screen uh, for foul shots. At that point, when you knew the game was entering overtime, it almost seemed like the team with the number three ranking associated to them with a guy that's won two championships for that team was going to pull away in overtime and that you would say, okay, Virginia Tech made it to overtime with the number three team. 
But once overtime started, it was all Virginia Tech, and they just continued to separate, and it was Villanova on the back foot. So I, I thought that was a lot different than what we saw last year. Um, obviously, there was you know that one game against Michigan State where you know a lot of people pointed to that and said that's the potential of this program. But you know they lost the next three games after that, and they started to slow down. And this team seems to pick it up. They responded once again against USF on Sunday night when everyone thought that could be a letdown game. They almost won by 20 points. Uh, and it's just something I haven't seen in team since that magical 2018-19 team. Yeah, that, you know, that team, the game last year against Michigan State was amazing one, um, but pretty clearly fool's gold there at the beginning of the season based on how that game went and uh and in the makeup of Virginia Tech's roster um you know they were playing guys Aline and Radford and Hunter Couture Cone OG they all they were all freshmen um you know I think clearly the difference is brought in Luma who's an upperclassman brought in uh, Mutz, who's a senior, graduate, senior, upperclassman, whatever he is. Um, Beattie has clearly seen everything that is possible to be seen in the ACC over his career. Um, Cartier, Cartier Jara, uh, coming from Kansas State, huge. I mean, a ton of experience there. They're, they've added guys that have been there that, you know, even Radford was his first year playing last year, but he played a ton last year. So, and he's pretty clearly tough as nails. So, you know, I think there's five or six guys at the top of the rotation that they went to entirely down the stretch for the most part experienced. And I think that was um, the big difference from how they finished against Villanova to how they finished against um, Michigan State a year ago. One more surprising aspect of this team. Now, Doug, I don't remember if you remember the last time we did a basketball podcast. It was about eight months ago, and we hyped up a certain recruit, the top-rated recruit for Virginia Tech, Joe Bamisil. The most surprising thing, look, I almost had him as a top-three scorer on this roster when we were writing up the season preview, I'm worried we may have hyped him up a little too much. I don't think it's, you know, again, three games in, no reason to panic. Uh, but watching him, I think, you know, going through those freshman bumps, adjusting to the next level after being a 30-point-a-game scorer in high school, I think it's, you know, a, a bit more evident that his role is a lot than what we both thought it would be heading into the season. Yeah, it's 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 uh, obvious that he's not a day one impact guy. I I don't think I don't think he's uh, he's gonna. I don't think that, I think I still have think he has incredible potential and could be a huge part of this team even in by February. I think um, he's long, athletic. He's bigger. He looks more physically ready as far as you know most freshmen look i mean he's got the you can clearly see the skills and all that stuff but clearly his limited time here the first three games haven't been um the best but he's got a lot of 
like I said, a lot of experience ahead of him. So I think as he gets more comfortable and grows a little bit more, um, I think I still think he could come into his own by the end of the year. But yeah, as far as what we thought and like expected, and I even read some stuff in like uh, I think it was in like Inside Hokie Sports Magazine, the official publication of Virginia Tech, that was talking about him being you know a major factor right off the bat. But he's probably the ninth or tenth guy in the rotation right now, and you're just not going to play the extended minutes that he needs to, to really develop um, at least except with the like three or four uh, guarantee games that they have the rest of the way in December could be huge for him um, for what he can do this year. So yeah, I think a little premature on the uh, hype train there for Joe Bamasil, uh, but uh, I don't think it does anything to judge like what his career is going to be or even what, the rest of the season could be. He's, he's a freshman playing his first college basketball, and um, not su- not surprised that uh, some early season struggles are are certainly happening. Yeah, and I'll say this too: he doesn't have to be that guy, which I think is a bit of a relief when you look at the roster and how it's constructed. There's a lot of guys that have their clear defined roles. We talked about it. You know, Landers Nolly was kind of that guy that had to do everything in the big moments, had to guard the top guy on the other team, had to take the big shot. And now it seems like if Virginia Tech is going to win these games, it's going to be on the back of, you know, four or five guys having really good games. And when you look at Joe Bamisil, he's not really put into any one category where you have a Hunter Couture that, you know, he's reliable from three and can play good defense, uh, you know. Kiva Loom is kind of your post guy that, you know, can do a little bit of everything. I think Joe Bamisil has that skill set uh, of anyone on the roster to have the most potential because he's long and athletic, because he can score from three, because he can be a highlight dunk player. And, you know, of course, that length and athleticism would translate on defense as well. So he can kind of take his time, put it all together. He's not desperately needed right now, but, you know, I just want to – I'm walking back on the initial hype to say this guy is going to get on campus, be this big guy for this team. I think it's going to clearly take time, as you know, you said and we've seen now, but um, I, I definitely think his ceiling is still the highest of any player on this team. Yeah, he's definitely – he's walking into a much better situation than uh, like even Jalen Cohn and Nahima Lean walked into last year like – Remember those guys graduated high school a year early to come. They were there. I don't know what their birthdays are, but they were basically 17, early 18 year olds starting games immediately, playing big minutes immediately, immediately last year because they had to um, probably ended up being good for both of their developments long term. But, um, you know, Bamis, but there are higher expectations this year for Virginia Tech. You know, I think I think Mike Young could afford to to play those guys as much as he did last year. But this year, you know, they're clearly going for it a little more. And that Bama and you know, doesn't have to start every game at shooting card or play big minutes off the bench right now is is probably gonna is probably gonna help him, you know, over the long term as well. The next aspect of the team I really want to talk about. I think this is the most fascinating, in my opinion, and it's not talked about enough. In the first three games, we saw Aluma, 
who, by the way, at Wofford, at two years at Wofford, had never had attempted one three point shot. He's shooting 66.7% from beyond the arc. Justin Mutz, who was uh, 11% shooter from three at his time at Delaware, all of a sudden is taking the first corner three of at in overtime against number three Villanova. Wabisa Beatty, again, maybe not a guy that shoots a lot of uh, perimeter shots and is more of the distributor on offense. All of a sudden, he's wetting some threes. And then Tyrese Radford, a guy that literally couldn't make a three-point shot last year, shot 8%, is now at least somewhat more consistent with the three-point shot. So, look, it like if you told me one of these guys developed a three-point jump shot in the Mike Young offense, I would believe you because, you know, they pride themselves on having guys that can extend to the three-point line and really stretch the floor. I think that's super important to how this offense operates but all these guys, I mean, I'm not going to tab any of them three-point specialists. But it's really impressive how everyone seemingly overnight just developed a three-point jump shot or at least can threaten it when left open. I think this is probably one of the – I wrote about this earlier this week, but it's one of the big questions is you know, Virginia Tech starts 3-0 and and all seems well and all that stuff, but there's a long season to go. Especially as you know, the film gets out there. It's the same thing as football. You start hot, but once people get film on you and figure out how to defend you, the same thing happened last year. Virginia Tech started out really well because they, I think, surprised people with how well they could shoot the ball. And then once people started running them off the three-point line, they lost a bunch of games. So I think this is the question: is whether they have enough shooting. Um, you know, in today's basketball even at the college level you have to be able to shoot and you have to be able to shoot the three um so, so if you know you're you're looking at top guy uh, you know the top six guys top five or six guys they played against villanova there bd jara Aline, radford uh mutz and oluma you listed just four of them that were not good three-point shooters so if if they don't improve and that affects how teams defend Virginia Tech and makes it very difficult for Virginia Tech to get the shots they need to make that they're actually good at making. I think I think that could cause Tech to struggle um, in January and February. But so far, it looks good. I mean, Oluma, from just watching him shoot, looks like he's... Like, I'm pretty confident that he's going to continue to shoot at a pretty high clip. Um, from behind the arc. BD, he shot 22% last year, made a big three against Villanova. Um, you know, how much does he need to improve to make a difference? Uh, Jara was, a, I think he was 31% last year at Kansas State. Um, can you get a little better from him? Uh, Aline was the best one. I think he was 37.5% last year. Um, so, you know, he's basically there. Radford. One for 12 last year clearly needs to get better there. Um, but he's also so darn good at getting to the rim that that might not matter. But when it gets into the crunch time and tech is, if tech wants to be a top six, top eight team in the ACC, they're going to have to beat UVA. They're going to have to play well against Louisville. They're going to have to go up against Carolina and Duke and you know, Florida state. 
the same teams that are always good in the ACC are good again. And if you're going to get into that group, you're going to have to be able to shoot it. So we're going to see if this, we're going to see if the development that they made is lasting. Yeah, for, for sure. And, you know, I just want to give some credit to Chris Arvin because the last time we did do that basketball podcast, I think, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know for a fact uh, when he said Aluma developed a overnight three-point shot, I kind of laughed at it and said, there's no way. But like you said, when, when you're watching him shoot out there, you feel pretty confident. Uh, with Beattie, I always feel like it's a confidence thing. If he's hitting his shots that night or making some layups, you know, he'll attempt it. And, uh, you know, Justin Mutz and Radford, they're not going to make their living from uh, three-point range. But to at least threaten it, I think, will be a big development throughout the season. But let's move into some expectations. Things obviously slow down a bit. Virginia Tech will play VMI on Thursday night. Uh, then Penn State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, later on. And then Clemson. Uh, so three games within the next two weeks after playing three games in just a week and in short order. So I don't want to jump too far ahead because we talked about ACC Player of the Week, Kive Aluma. We've now talked about number 16, beating the number three team in the country. A lot of fans are getting really excited. I think fans should be excited about this. This is a really fun team to watch, and they look very cohesive as a unit. But, you know, what do these early performances, do they, do they change anything for the expectations of this team moving forward? Do you put them on a different pedestal now that you've seen a week of basketball from them? I don't, I don't think it changes much. I think the expectations were always to be better than they were last year, which, um, you know, probably if you're, if they're better than they were last year, which last year they finished, finished 16 and 16, seven and 13 in the conference last year. If you're better than that, you're inching closer to 500 in the ACC, which pretty much puts you in the NIT around there. You're playing postseason basketball at that point, which is, which I think is completely fair expectations for um, for Mike Young in year two, especially after after what 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 was left of the program when when he took it over. So I think I don't think it changes much. Um, yet. I think that I I think there's a chance um, looking at the rest of the ACC. I don't think they're going to be as good as Carolina, Duke, Louisville, Florida State, or UVA. The question is if they're better than Syracuse, Clemson, Notre Dame, NC State. That's that's six to a. Are they the sixth team in the ACC? Or are they the tenth team? Um, and I think they certainly have a shot a shot at being that sixth team based off what we've seen, what, what, especially what we saw against against Villanova. Um, so, I mean, we'll find out. It's you know, given the delay of the season, it's already December. We're they play VMI and then they jump into Penn State and Clemson, which are two big games. And then they only have, there's only three, you know, guarantee games left. Whereas in a normal year, they're playing eight or nine, ten of those. Um, so it's we're going to find out quickly. I think the first two ACC games are big: Clemson at home and Miami at home before going to Charlottesville. So if they can win those two, I think you're going to feel pretty good about them. Yeah, I'll say this, and it might be a controversial take, but 
I think this past week does raise the ceiling of this team. And I simply say that because, you know, we're talking about in a normal year. And, you know, in a normal year, Virginia Tech isn't playing number three Villanova. They're playing Temple instead. And maybe we're not even talking about this right now. We're just talking about, okay, solid week. You know, the first time they get to play a top team, let's see how they fare. But knowing that they got this early experience, knowing that they're building on the momentum, knowing that after they beat number three Villanova the next night, they go out and beat a team by 18 points. You know, I think they're, we're starting to see growth in this team and, and thinking or changing the mindset quite a bit. You know, I don't think it drastically changes things. I don't, I don't mean to say that they're going to be consistently in the top 25 this year because you just you never know what could happen, especially with, you know, COVID and everything. So I think, you know, in, in the beginning, I thought Virginia Tech could finish anywhere towards the top of that tier two that you're talking about. Um, but now I think they could push for, you know, that six, that fifth or sixth spot in all honesty. I think looking even further ahead, you know, okay, Virginia Tech's going to be better than they were last year. Who knows if they'll get good enough to break in, to really break through this year. But looking ahead to next year, I think you have to be extremely excited. Jara, Beatty, and Pimsel are the three seniors. Um, and they could come back next year based on the NCAA's ruling. But even if they leave Alumo will be a senior and Mutz will be a senior. You've locked down your fifth, your, your five and your four going into next year. Radford will be a very, very experienced junior next year. Um, Alim will be a junior. Jalen Cohn probably becomes the point guard of Jara. And I'm going to keep calling him Diara forever, but his name is Jara. Um, <laughs> if BD and, and Jara leave, then Cohn probably takes over as starting point guard. I mean, that's a team that, is bloated in his experience. And so certainly exciting things this season and potential to be ahead of where we thought they were, but a hundred percent on the right path for where Mike Young and where everybody wanted them to be in year three. Yeah. Last thing I'll say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that, you know, last year it seemed like if Landers Nolly scored over 20 points, had 10 rebounds, three blocks, three steals, whatever, that Virginia Tech was going to win that game. This year it feels like if you have three out of your core six have their usual game, you feel pretty good about this team. And they've shown that. So I, I, I think as of right now, you know, just to add on to why I think the ceiling is raised, because nobody is that defined star, you could say Kive Aluma is the leader of the team, maybe for now. But I don't see why there would be a lot of drop off in the future. Um, obviously, I'm not saying they're going to be beating UVA, Louisville, Duke, UNC, FSU. But they should be able to remain at least this competitive throughout the season. Excited to see what happens for Virginia Tech basketball. It's going to be a fun season. Hopefully the entire thing is played through. I would love to see March Madness regardless if Virginia Tech is included in it. I need to see March Madness. Two years without it would be two years too much. So all that being said, we got to move on to football. We got to talk about number three Clemson.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Virginia Tech, this upcoming weekend, will host number three Clemson was seven and one with their only loss against Notre Dame, the number two team in the country. And they were playing their backup quarterback in that game in their most recent games. Two weeks ago, Virginia tech lost to Pittsburgh at Heinz field, 47 to 14, the dagger Clemson ironically played Pittsburgh and beat them 52 to 17. I'll just leave that there. Between these two teams, Virginia Tech has lost the last five games. The most recent ones in memory for a lot of Virginia Tech fans, the 2016 ACC championship game where Virginia Tech came within a touchdown with Gerard Evans. They lost 42-35 to to eventual national champions Clemson. And then in 2017, the big rematch, I think Virginia Tech was ranked somewhere in the top 20, Clemson was number three or number two, and Virginia Tech lost thirty-one to seventeen. But you know, it was it it wasn't that close. It was pretty one-sided for a majority of the game until a late touchdown kind of made the scoreline look a bit prettier. Heading into this game, things are a lot different. Virginia Tech four and five, obviously. Virginia Tech is twenty-two point underdogs at the current moment. Doug and I did some research before this podcast. We believe that this is the largest home underdog for Virginia Tech. We're pretty sure that's right. We 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 found a database of odds going back through, through 1990 at least, which um, seems like a safe bet. Uh, there might I don't know when they started doing odds, but you know back in the 80s, 70s, I'm sure. There could have been another game, but um, the smallest chance of victory I think Virginia Tech has had at a home game in quite some time. If you're scouting around looking for Virginia Tech fans out there on social media, on the 24-7 sports message boards, everyone right now is more interested in tracking flights, putting up their theories for who should be the next Virginia Tech head coach, even though nothing has been said about Justin Fuente's status yet. We need something, Doug. Give the fans a pitch. Why should they tune into this game? Because in any other season, you put down a 7.30 ABC primetime with the dream crew of Kirk Herbstreet. I mean, anyone would be relishing this opportunity to play a top-tier team at Lane Stadium, but everyone seems checked out. So give the fans something. Why should they watch this game? From a... uh fan perspective i'd say from a virginia tech fan perspective i'd say that uh you know clearly this year has proven that college football is not a guarantee college football season and all that we love about it is not a guarantee um and in a normal year we only get 
12 or 13 game days a year and we wait nine months to get to the next season. So um, I'm certainly of the opinion that you should cherish every game day, especially during the season that you can, knowing that it's going to come to an end in January for, or maybe sooner um, for, you know, another nine months until the new season starts. So um, I'm certainly tuning in because I know how few of these we get every year. Secondly, I would say as a football fan perspective, you're going to be watching one of the greatest college football quarterbacks of all time. One of the greatest college football running backs of all time. They are not on Virginia tech, which is not ideal, but um, it's not often, you know, I was in my preview, I wrote it. I think Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback to play in lane stadium since Matt Ryan. Apologies to Tyrod Taylor, but facts are facts. Um, so, you know, that's that's the guy that's going to be the number one pick in the draft next year. He would have been the number one pick in the draft last year. He would have been the number one pick in the draft if he came out after his freshman year. Um, he is an insanely talented quarterback. And, you know, if you're not happy with Virginia Tech football, you can't stomach watching it or whatever, you're going to be watching somebody who is very, very, very good at what they do um, on Saturday in Blacksburg, which, you know, it's probably not going to be that fun. Probably going to win by at least three touchdowns, as the spread says. But, um, you know, you get a chance to watch some greatness. And then third piece of my, and this is an enormously long elevator ride. um, You know, you never know. You can't be certain. I remember in 2007, West Virginia had to win a game over three and eight Pittsburgh to play for the national championship. They had Pat, Pat White and Steve Slayton and Owen Schmidt and an unbelievable offense under Rich Rodriguez and Pittsburgh went out and shut them down and uh, they won the, and, and West Virginia blew a chance to to clinch a spot in the national championship by losing 13 to nine to their arch rivals. So it's possible, you know, you never know. Um, is it likely? No. Is it possible? Yes. Honestly, a great elevator pitch. If you're living in New York city and you're going up to the penthouse, maybe floor hundred, that was great. No, in all seriousness, that was great. And you do never know. And I know, the pessimistic fans are going to roll their eyes at this. The optimistic fans will latch on to this. But, you know, it was a different time, different scene. But in 2017, Clemson, this very same Clemson, played Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. And I know, you know, ghosts exist at the Carrier Dome. But Clemson was a 23.5 point favorite on the road against Syracuse that was 3-3 three and three at the time. Syracuse won that game 27-24. That's all I'm going to say. So crazier things have happened to Clemson, uh, and you just never know. You never know. Maybe something happened. You never know. But anyways, let's let's look into, instead of these hypotheticals, let's look into some some cold, hard facts. Let's, let's look at Clemson. We talked about Trevor Lawrence, 2,200 yards this year, 70% completion percentage, 19 touchdowns, two interceptions. He has 37 carries and 80 yards, which 
you know, that doesn't seem like anything, probably because of the sack numbers, but has four rushing touchdowns. I mean, let's start with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he is the best blend of a quarterback I've seen. I liken him to almost like Peyton Manning with more mobility. Yeah, he's like Andrew Luck uh, when Andrew Luck was playing college football. And if you'll remember, Andrew Luck beat Virginia Tech 41-12 to 12 in the uh, Orange Bowl. So could be a sign of what's <laughs> happening here. But yeah, Lawrence is really, really good. Um, just makes NFL throws after NFL throws. You know, the, the, the problem, they do enough easy stuff offensively that you know that Hendon Hooker could very reasonably be effective running those plays but he does so much making throws that are just unguardable basically as a college defense like you could feel like you have pretty good coverage and against normal teams you would feel pretty confident about having success he just rips a ball into a tight spot or you know, he'll throw like a 35-yard corner route to the far hash. And it's like, he just, <laughs> there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of situations where you just tip your cap and take, <laughs> move on and deal with the fact that they just picked up 26 yards in the blink of an eye because he can make some incredible throws. And then, you know, when you, if you do get pressure on him, just like everybody else, it, you know, his completion percentage drops, drops to, from like 70% to 40%, which happens to everybody, but uh, he's he's got that like additional layer where he is quick enough to scramble and pick up yards. He's quick enough to roll out and throw on the run. He's, I mean, he's, he's pretty much unstoppable. And for, you know, a Virginia Tech secondary that is struggling, is down, uh, you know, their top two corners from what they thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. Uh, that's going to be an issue. And then there's the other guy that everyone talks about. First, you have to deal with Trevor Lawrence. But after that, you have to deal with Travis Etienne, who is perhaps one of the best running backs, pure running backs in the entire country, not just the conference. And he's having a bit of a down season compared to his last two years where he rushed for over 1,600 yards Yes, over 1,600 yards while playing with the number one quarterback. But, you know, what can you tell me about Travis Etienne's game? And, uh, you know, despite seemingly dropping down a bit, he still does have 12 rushing touchdowns. You know, how much of a threat is he to the Virginia Tech defense? Uh, Virginia Tech is the 89th ranked rushing defense in the country. Um, Clemson is the 76th ranked rushing offense in the country which is it is surprising given that they have etn um they've struggled a little bit at guard and center which is if etn's getting if he's getting inside handoffs most of the time he's running up the back of those guards which is why they've struggled a little bit but that doesn't mean the offense has struggled um dabo said something after the pittsburgh game after they watched the pittsburgh game Basically, they they factor in the RPO plays into how well they run the ball. So if you look at their rushing totals against Pitt, they ran 38 times for 145 yards, but 
Dabo's giving them over 100 additional yards of rushing offense based on the RPO, which when you have the best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in college football history and one of the best running backs in college football history running an RPO, I don't know how you stop it because you're either committing to stopping the running back and then the best quarterback pulls the ball and makes a throw or you're committed to stopping the pass and the best running backs got the ball. So, you know, Etienne's definitely numbers are down, but he's as dangerous as he's ever been. They get him the ball. He's the, he has 40 catches this year, which would lead Virginia Tech's team by nine catches, I think. Um, so he's going to get his touches and get his yards and all that stuff. And, you know, we can talk all we want about his struggles, but his struggles are, um, you know, when you're Clemson and you're as good as they've been for as long as they've been, you're you're nitpicking your struggles a little bit um, at this point because your excellence has – you have to be as good as Alabama, basically. That's who you're measuring yourself up against. You're not – for Virginia Tech, they're measuring themselves up against Pittsburgh and North Carolina and Miami and – and other flawed teams so when you struggle running the ball you know and then you face the 89th rank rush defense um you know I, I i think struggling is a is a light term in terms of what they're going through as an offense you look at their i mean they they haven't scored less than 34 points all season and they win games by three or four touchdowns they're not struggling um so i think etn is probably uh he, I'm sure he would love to have a bunch of more yards, but I, you know, I think coming in and facing the 89th ranked rank rush defense probably has him pretty excited about, you know, getting loose a couple times. Not to mention, both guys are often not even playing the fourth quarter, so you could only imagine if they were playing in garbage time what their numbers would look like. But looking at the rest of the offense, looking at some of the surrounding members, we talk about how good Trevor Lawrence is making all these NFL throws, but who is he throwing to? Amari Rogers, 58 receptions, 813 yards and six touchdowns. A bit of a shorter receiver, kind of a slot guy that can flex outside, but you know, a guy that's a capable route runner and has made some impressive plays. Cornell Powell, kind of in that same mold, uh, 37 receptions, 594 yards and four touchdowns. I know they have a bunch of true freshmen and uh, you know, tons of five-star talent all over the field. But, uh, you know, one guy that, you know, I'm going to highlight is Brandon Galloway. I think uh, Clemson, at least this year in watching them, has done a lot better at utilizing their tight ends this year. And he's kind of a guy that doesn't have a ton of numbers this season. But uh, the way that they utilize him in the short passing situations and putting Trevor Lawrence on the run. It's almost like a Dalton Keene situation that he'll go against the grain and then throw back to his tight ends and get chunk yardage. So, you know, it seems like the supporting cast, no matter who it is, no matter what type of player they are, uh, that they have enough options to move the ball consistently down the field. Galloway's he's the tight end that him and the other tight end. He has two first names. His name's, uh, Davis Allen. Um, when they catch the ball, because of everything else Clemson is doing, when when they get thrown to, they're mo- they're mostly wide open. Like 
gobs of space. Um, so in that, and that's just because when you have, like we've been talking about, two of the best players in college football history at quarterback and running back, so a lot of attention gets paid to them. Rodgers is their top wide receiver in the slot, and you know they throw to him a ton. Um, those guys get all the attention, and then all of a sudden you forget about Galloway, and he's sneaking out left as Lawrence rolls right, and that's an easy throw for Lawrence, and off they go. So, um, you know, like I said, I think the str- the struggles are limited struggles because they're still enormously talented. Um, the Rodgers and Powell are by far their most targeted wide receivers. All the other guys are pretty spare parts at this point in their career. Um, but there's a ton of them um, that they that they rotate in. So um, I think his name is Brandon Spector. He, he wears number 13. He looks exactly like Hunter Renfro does the same things Hunter Renfro does. It's, it's like he's now in his 20th year playing college football. Um, so those guys will hurt you if you, you know, leave them be. But definitely they're they're the majority of their offense clearly goes through Lawrence and ETN and then Rogers and Powell. Um, so, you know, I think there's a ton of mismatches all over the field as far as how Virginia Tech is going to match up. Chamari Connor is the third most targeted slot cover guy in the ACC. And I don't think that's um, a good thing to be targeted that much because that means teams feel that they have an advantage. Or Diablo is one of the best cover uh, slot cover guys in the ACC based on his numbers. So then you get stuck in like this, do you take Diablo and stick him on Rogers and let him run Diablo out of the play and then try and stop a run with Eaton? I mean, it's, there's so many, they, they're so diverse and they'll do this. They'll do a, a read option in the middle with Lawrence and ETN. So you're worrying about those two guys. Then they run Rogers in motion with them. So then you're worried about him. And then you throw in the fact that Lawrence could pass the ball at any time. So now you're worried about four things happening at once. And Virginia Tech's defense has played better against um, Miami and Pittsburgh, particularly the run defense. But I don't think they've, you know, that certainly hasn't been against the team with Clemson's talent. So um, I think there's going to be mismatches and opportunities for Clemson. And, and really it comes down to Virginia Tech's defensive line playing the game of their lives and dominating up front, um, which is possible given the, the, the struggles of the Clemson's interior offensive line. But, um, you know, looking at it, Virginia Tech, probably going to struggle just like everybody else does against Clemson. So, um, yeah. Moving on to the D. I mean, speaking of (laughs) ultra talented, when you're looking at Clemson's defensive line, I know they've lost a few stars of their own over, you know, recent years, but uh, Brian Breezy, uh, the number one overall recruit last year, Tyler Davis, another guy that was a fringe five-star Jordan Williams, a seven five seven guy. All those guys are at defensive tackle. All of them within the top one hundred. You look at the defensive ends. KJ Henry. Anyone remember him? Another five star guy that you know at one point in time was considering Virginia Tech. Miles Murphy, a top ten prospect. Xavier Thomas, the number three overall prospect. I mean, five stars across the board. 
Clemson did a good job of, you know, pitching their defensive line to prospects. And not only that, but, you know, they're rotating a ton of guys on the defensive line and they're playing a lot of guys early on in their career. Yeah, I think they've 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 had some injuries this year and some other absences, just like everybody else. But, you know, I think they've started 23 different players on defense this year. And if you if you look at their two deep, but it's two or two or three deep that they released, they've got like 21 freshmen or sophomores in it. So they're they're young, of course, they're young ish, but they're very, very talented. Um you know, and, and the fact that, you know, they've been banged up. James, James, James Skowski, who just, you know, the, his name is just epitomizes linebacker, oozes linebacker, James Skowski. Um, he's been banged up this year, but came back last year. Their linebackers are really, you know, their defensive line is big and strong and physical and athletic and everything you expect out of, you know, five, like a bunch of five-star defensive ends. Miles Murphy is a... 6'5", 270-pound freshman defensive end. Um, so they're they're good. They're young. They're developing, whatever. Their linebackers are the fun place to watch them play, and they just, like, they blitz, and they blitz extremely hard. Whoever Whoever's playing running back and, and blitz pick up this game is going to be, uh, is going to have some bumps and bruises by the end of it. Skowski, Spectre. Uh, Venables. Um, there's one more that I'm forgetting, but they are big and physical and fast, all that stuff. Um, so, I mean, this is what happens when you recruit at a high level for as long as you do. It's a, as long as they have, it's a never ender, it's a cycle that feeds itself and helps them because they have talent everywhere at three, three deep on the depth chart. Then they blow people out. So they play a bunch of people. So then they just next man up, next man up. You got a bunch of sophomores that probably played a ton of snaps last year and um, and blowout games. So they're comfortable and ready to go and they're five-star talents. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just like the, them on the offense. They're, they're really, 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 really good. Um, I, I, I do say, I will say the one area you can get them is in the secondary. They give up big plays. They give up chunk plays. I think they're in the they're in the bottom half of the FBS in terms of twenty and thirty yard plays. So you can you can hit them for some chunk yardage, but if you look at their totals, you're talking about three or four plays a game. They average. You might get them for a couple more, but you know if you don't turn all of those into touchdowns, like you you need thirty five at least thirty five points to win this game. So they are. They're more than happy to give you a 25-yard gain to advance it to the 50, and they'll shut you down from there if that means that they put a ton of pressure on your quarterback, they shut down your running game, and they force you into a couple mistakes, interceptions, and fumbles. They're, so, you know, the numbers say the big plays are there, but, I mean, you look at the games they've played, they blow everybody out by three or four touchdowns, so it doesn't matter. Um, so we'll see. Looking at the rest of the guys, especially on defense for this season, you know, the numbers don't really jump out at you 
individually when you call it, when you put everything together you see why this is such a good unit but like you're saying they're three deep at every position and you know no one guy gets the shine they're able to play a lot of these guys and what that tells me is that one their offense is taking care of business so their defense is put in advantageous situations and two by the end of the game third stringers are playing so they're getting some stats too so you know all in all it's a defense that hasn't been fully tested maybe outside of that Notre Dame game you could argue maybe Boston College even though they're a bit one-dimensional and you know happen to have a quarterback that went against their weakest unit and their secondary but you know overall this has been a very dominant unit um they're not in the top 10 for total defense but they're right there they're right outside yeah, they, I think they're 12th in yards per play allowed or whatever. Um, they, they're second in the country in sacks with 36 behind Pittsburgh. So not getting any easier for Virginia Tech in, in that department, but only, but no, nobody on their second in the country in sacks, but they don't have any one dominant pass rusher. They have, I think nobody has more than three and a half on the year. And they have 11 guys with at least two sacks. <laughs> so, um, like, they bring it from everywhere. They play a ton of guys. They probably will play a ton of guys. So, you know, you're not seeing much of a difference. So, um, if Virginia Tech wants, they're going to have to put up 35-plus points to, to compete. And if they want to do that, they're going to have to hooker. Or if Burmeister might get some action, um, you're going to have to be t- decisive. They're going to come after you and put pressure on you immediately. Um, the wide receivers are going to have to win battles against the corners um, to get open early so that Hooker has somewhere to throw the ball when he's about to get smoked. Um, but then you've also got to hit a couple big plays. I think James Mitchell and Trey Turner are going to have to are going to have to have the biggest games of the season. Um, and then you know, of course, if if you can establish Khalil Herbert, hopefully. The week off has has helped him. Um, you know, ideally, I think Virginia Tech wants to play this game like they played Louisville, where Hooker only attempts ten passes. You know, keep him under fifteen passes. Run Herbert. They ran it fifty-one times in that game. Control the clock. Keep Clemson's offense off the field and see what happens, and and, and hope for the best. But it's going to take. Um, it's going to take Virginia Tech's offense playing the game, best game of the year. It's going to take Virginia Tech's defense playing the best game of the year. And it's going to take Clemson playing the worst game of the season. Um, the unit I'm most concerned about is the defense and how you're able to stop Clemson. So that being said, I mean, obviously, if you had the golden answer for this, you'd be getting millions upon millions of dollars, much more than VT Scoop is paying you right now. But if you had to kind of figure out a way to defend Clemson, I mean, or at least slow them down, I mean, what would your approach be? Uh, I don't think there is one. Um, you know, I, I legitimately don't think there is one. Notre Dame's got a pretty good defense and Clemson put up 40 on them. Um, going back, if you look at like the national championships over the last several years, you know, Alabama put up 40 on them. LSU put up, like, you've, you've got to, you know, they, they score against everybody. It's high-scoring games. Um, so I don't think you're going to slow them down. I don't think it's possible. I don't think you can 
shut down Trevor Lawrence. You're not going to beat Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne 17 to 13. Um, it's just not going to happen, especially with this Virginia Tech defense. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, it's not hard to envision Travis Etienne running right by Devin Taylor in a hole. Um, it's not hard to envision, you know, Amari Rogers catching a pass and just running away from Chamari Connor. Um, you know, I think, I, I, I don't think you're going to stop them. I think the only way you can stop them is to, you know, if you can have a little bit of success on first down and, and then get off the field on third, which is where Virginia Tech has really struggled this year, especially in where they give defense, like they give up third and shorts basically the whole game. And you're not going to, you've, you got to give them a third and third and long. And I don't know how you do that. <laughs> I don't know how, Virginia Tech is going to shut down Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence consistently to do that. So I think the points are going to be there for Clemson. It's just, you know, we've said this all all year long against any good offense this year. Carolina, Louisville, uh, Miami, uh, any good offense. It's been not can Virginia Tech consistently slow them down. It's can they stop them just enough. You know, can they force them into a field goal on a red zone trip instead of a touchdown? Can they make them punt from the 45 once or twice or something like that? Um, you know, it's it's going to be a sh- if if they want to have a chance, it's going to be a shootout. And then in the second half, the defense has got to come up with something to take Clemson's expected points down whether that's you know a field goal instead of a touchdown or getting off the field with a punt forcing a fumble something like that but um that hasn't happened that this year and i certainly don't expect it to start against uh trevor lawrence and travis Etienne. you know i will say this when you look at this defense it, it, it isn't capable of stopping clemson not at all and uh i i think when you look at this game it's gonna have to be the totality of every single unit, the offense being on the field long enough to keep Clemson out of rhythm, the defense doing just enough on third and longs, maybe getting Clemson off the field once or twice. And then it's going to have to be on special teams. Can you make something happen? Can you pin them down in their own five within their own five yard line? You know, things like that. Maybe there's turnover luck involved. There's so many different things that have to happen, but that's, you know, that's what everyone is, is that little, 8% 8% chance that Virginia Tech has right now is depending on all those factors at once going right. And that's what you have to do in order to beat a team that's this good. Their aspirations are not the ACC championship. They've been there. They've done that for multiple years. This is a team that is looking to consistently win national championships to consistently make the college football playoff. And for Virginia Tech, obviously, they're out of sorts right now. They don't know what their identity is on the defensive line or on the defense as a whole, as Tony Elliott pointed out earlier this week. But uh, you know, for Virginia Tech, it's not just can the defense make you know plays on third down. It has to be everything all in one, all encompassing, being able to do things on every single in every single aspect of the game to to try to make some miracle happen. The one thing I'll add is that, and I mentioned earlier, and when you bring the weather into it is when you know that it's an issue. But it's going to be 
the low is in the 20s. It's going to be raining during the day. I mean, it is epitome of Blacksburg in December. Um, if it's 33 and drizzling, that probably helps Virginia Tech, given how you know you expect Virginia Tech to struggle a little bit already. You don't expect Clemson to struggle very much. If the weather slows them down a little bit, maybe you keep them, you know, in the lower 30s instead of you know 40s or 50s, which is where where I expect most people think this is heading. So, you know, when you're counting on the weather to uh <laughs> to help you out that much, I think you're in a in a tight spot. But um, certainly possible. I mean, 30 degrees of rain in Blacksburg does not sound like a like a fun experience to you know, to be throwing the football or trying to play football in general. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. The happiest Virginia tech fans might just be the cardboard cutouts, but uh, last question I'll ask you. Realistically, what should the expectation be from a Virginia tech fan perspective? I think this is such a weird game in that, when Virginia Tech has faced off against Clemson, whether it was in the first year again in the ACC championship game or when both teams were ranked in the top 20, there was some element of expectation that Virginia Tech could climb over the hurdle, maybe either make it close or pull off the upset. Uh, against Notre Dame two years ago, there was still a belief that Virginia Tech could possibly win that game. This is one of those rare games where Virginia Tech is at home at 7.30. I know there's all the elements involved with no fans, no real home field advantage, but if you're a fan watching this and you're kind of checked out, you know, what do you think you're looking for? Because I don't, you know, a victory is not realistic in this scenario, but but what kind of signs would you like to see of this team that kind of leads you to believe, okay, this was, you know, we saw something. I feel a little bit better about UVA now, maybe at the very least. Yeah, I was going to say, you're basically looking for something to like give you the hope for next week that the team's going to show up against UVA. Um, so I think you didn't see that against Pittsburgh. Um, so I think you got to see an opposite response from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was up 23-14. to 14. And Tech got stopped at the goal line, 99 yards in four plays, boom, game over, folds up like a tent, <laughs> game goes from there. So you don't want to see that happen again. You don't, you know, it's possible that this could be like 52 to three, um, just a complete embarrassment, which is what you want to avoid. So I think, I think you look at, if you watch Clemson's game last week with Pittsburgh, they jumped them early. They went up 31, nothing in the first quarter. Um, and from there, Pittsburgh responded and hung around and made it sort of kind of interesting. Um, it was 38-17 in the third quarter, and Pittsburgh had the ball early in the third with the chance to, you know, you score there, you're down two scores after being down 31 nothing at Clemson. I think, you know, you're looking for that, that fight, and you're looking for, you know, I, I, I think Clemson's going to win it by three or four touchdowns maybe more, but I think you want to see tech battle to where like, maybe it's, maybe it's 31, 14 and, 
you know, it's late in the third, so the game's basically out of hand. But then Tech scores to make it 31-21, and you get a little, and, you know, Clemson will probably rip off 17 points in the in the game there. But, you know, you just want to see them, you know, they're not going to be within arm's reach probably, but you don't want to be, like, not even in the picture. You want to be, um, you know, you want to be close. Not Not close, but, like, you know, if they can keep it under 21 and just have these opportunities. Uh, like, I went back and watched that, um, the 2017 game. And everybody remembers that game. That, was that Virginia Tech has zero chance to move the football. They added a late score and made it 31-17, all that stuff. Um, and it's true. You know, the only, the only they, they were down 24-10 to 10 in the third, and the only touchdown they'd scored came after a a shanked putt punt that Stroman took back to the two or something. So it was a two yard drive. Um, but Virginia tech had the ball 11 minutes left down 24 to 10 and Josh Jackson threw a ball out to the edge that um, Henry Murphy bobbled and it went right into the Clemson linebackers hands and he took it to the house and it was 31 to 10. And now it's really over, but, but 24 to 10, the game certainly hasn't gone doesn't give you any indication that Virginia Tech is even on a remotely level playing field that night, but you're one big play from being a seven-point game, and I think that's what you're looking for is over four quarters can Virginia Tech stay, you know, within shouting distance, basically, where you're you're one play from talking in, talking yourself into, you know, raising your expectations for that next defensive drive, I think. I'll say two things just to quickly cap it off. The first is Justin Fuente, even though he says he hasn't been reading social media, whatever, I'm sure, you know, it's made his, its way to him. And, you know, how does a coach like that respond when, you know, who knows what could happen after this season? And, you know, you you need a statement type game. And I'm not saying win this game, but show something. Are you going to fold? Are you going to show up? Are you going to try something different? Is this now desperation time? Because, you know, plenty of times we've we've seen desperation time and nothing had been resolved from it. So, you know, I'm curious to see. Will something come of it? Will Cornelson call something differently? Who knows? But, um, you know, I think you shouldn't really rest your laurels on that. I will say, I think it's a successful game if Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne are playing significant snaps midway through the fourth quarter. I think that is a successful stint for Virginia Tech in this game. That I'm gonna leave it at that. I don't even score. I agree side. with that. <laughs> yeah, if they are playing in the fourth quarter, that is all I want to see. So, with that, we've talked a lot about Clemson, a lot more than I initially thought we would, to be honest. Because you know this one seems pretty clear cut. Um, I think you know most of the debate about this game is whether it's going to be 40 or 50 points that Clemson uh, wins the, or has their victory margin. So, uh, all that being said. I'll give you the send off. Any final thoughts on this or any final words you want to say to any of the listeners? I got two things. Number one, it is a hundred percent guarantee that Virginia Tech runs a trick play in this game. Nothing to lose. Need to get the boys excited. Need to have them engaged on the sideline and you know, nothing like hitting a double wide receiver pass for an early touchdown or a big play to kind of get everybody engaged. I think 
I think you'll I think you'll see that early. Um, and then secondly, uh, certainly after this game, uh, the extremely crazy season begins. Um, one game, one game left. Everybody knows what December fifteenth means uh, at this point. Um, so, you know, it's going to be an interesting aftermath of this game, no matter what happens. Sunday, Monday, you know, we're going to find out how much 2.5 million is worth. We're going to, you know, it's just going to be a really interesting time. So uh, buckle up. (laughs) My final send off is, uh, you know, just try to enjoy, uh, you know, everyone's pretty much checked out at this point. There's no more, you know, emotional divestment at this point. But I would just say, Try to enjoy your Saturdays. Try to enjoy, you know, whether it's tailgating or watching, uh, you know, the team with the VT logo on it. So just try to enjoy it because there's only two left that we know of. I don't even know if bowl season's going to happen with the way things are trending. So or the, the way things are trending on the field for Virginia Tech. You just don't know. So I would just say try to enjoy it. Take things one step at a time. And then we'll see what happens. And when that point comes, if that point comes, we'll go through it together. It'll be great. But we'll see you guys next time. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.